Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. Hi, loved ones. Welcome to episode six of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Munro. Today, I am delighted to have one of my mentors, Catherine Hale, on for a chat around how to heal sustainably. Catherine has been a huge pillar in my journey, and she inspired my own studies in developmental trauma, psychosexual somatic therapy, and somatic attachment therapy, and to go even deeper than my original sexology trainings took me. And I'm hugely grateful for the lessons and the teachings working with her over the years have given me around how to heal in a more sustainable way and how we can heal in a trauma-informed way that lasts rather than just quick fixes. In November, I am super excited to be working with her again and supporting her in her wealth expansion program called Receive. It's an incredible three-month program around healing the nervous system to support receiving more money, wealth, and abundance in our lives. All the details are on my website and through her website, and I'm so looking forward to hearing how this episode lands for you all. Hi, Catherine. I'm so grateful to have you on today. Thank you so much for your time and energy. I really appreciate it. And so you have been one of the main teachers in my life, one of the biggest influences. And when I first met you, it was a few years ago, and it was within sexological bodywork, and you're working with this and women's pelvic health. And I'd love to know what inspired this transition into you being a trauma resolution coach that you are today. Well, thanks for that really warm welcome, Madeline. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I started working um, as a practitioner probably about nine years ago in sexuality. And then I trained as a sexological body worker and did work around women's pelvic health. But consistently, I kept kind of seeing patterns showing up um, that would kind of stop women from really, because I was working mainly with women um, during that time, but that was stopping women from really making the changes that they were telling me that they longed for. Mm. And so, you know, whilst in sexological body work, you know, I was teaching a lot of like embodied practices um, and with the pelvic health, I was teaching women how to, you know, support themselves and make kind of like changes in their lifestyle. Um, things weren't necessarily clicking. Mm. And, I, and, and, and I was like, you know, what, what's really going on here? What's happening for these people? Um, and then I realized that actually, what these women were all presenting with was unresolved trauma, right? That's what was at the heart of their challenges and difficulties. So I could kind of teach all of these techniques for want of a better word, but actually, unless I was addressing their physiology and supporting them to take, make the changes at the level of their physiology, the techniques weren't gonna change anything. And in fact, often what was I was finding was happening is that you know, women were learning like techniques, maybe in sexological body work, it was like a self-pleasure technique. Um, 
but then they would then feel a lot of shame and not good enough because they were spending money to do this work with me and yet they weren't seeing the shifts that they that they wanted so they they, they felt that they were broken mm. um so you know we can't we can't really heal in the way that we often long for unless we start with our physiology because trying to kind of heal with a physiology that's prone to a lot of dysregulation is it's going to be really challenging for you yeah you're going to keep hitting the same thing again and again and again you're going to hit the same dysregulation patterns again and again and again and there isn't going to be a kind of enough spaciousness on the nervous system level to actually facilitate the level of change that people are longing for and looking for mm. yeah beautiful mm. thank you and that's what I really resonate in how I found you mm. so I think that was similar to my journey where I was in containers and I felt like this isn't working I'm learning the techniques and actually often I'm feeling more dysregulated because I'm now like you said have shame that it's it's not working for me and why isn't it working for me um yeah so just really feeling that at the level of the body that you've shared and I feel that that will resonate with a lot of people out there in terms of the changes that may be needed at the way we approach these kind of techniques yeah and I heard you talk about um the physiology and that we can't really heal until we heal at the level of the physiology and mm. I would love to hear more about that and what you mean by the level of the physiology yeah sure so the nervous system is kind of like the most foundational part of us as humans, I, I believe anyway. Mm. And the nervous system's job is to keep us alive. And the nervous system is, is primed to recognise threat as it comes into our environment, into our vicinity. And the nervous system has... Um, functions that allow us to respond to that threat and these are necessary um, these are functions which are in the oldest part of the brains so they they happen pre-cognition so we don't need to think about running away from the saber-toothed tiger as it runs towards us right mm -hmm. it's an instinctual response that happens so people are probably familiar with the fight response the flight response and maybe some people are familiar with the freeze response so each one of those is like a survival response that helps us to um, navigate um, threat as it comes towards us now what happens with trauma is that for whatever reason when we were experiencing a threat then one of these responses kind of gets like locked on and let's just say like we go into a freeze response in a situation and we never actually get to fully digest and metabolize that freeze response so it kind of becomes a, a feature of our nervous system that when threat comes towards us we automatically go into freeze mm -hmm. and that threat might look like a saber-toothed tiger but actually it's much more likely to look like a human relationship you go into kind of like a spin of isolation disconnection unworthiness shame and 
you know, that pattern can get hardwired into you like pre-six-year-old, you know, it can get hardwired into you as a, as, a, as a baby. And so when we're working with physiology, what we're working with are these like early patterns that kind of got cemented into our nervous system. And, you know, when I'm working with somebody, I'm kind of tracking their physiology. And what I mean by that is I'm asking the person I'm working with to be really aware of like, what's your temperature like? You know, what's the speed that's in your body? You know, I can notice things in someone's kind of skin coloration changing, the way in which they're breathing, the level of eye contact with me, et cetera, et cetera. So these are like physiological cues that tell us what's happening in someone's nervous system. So someone might be saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But actually you can tell because there's like so much speed in their body that they're really not you know they're activated they're feeling threatened on some level mm-hmm. so so this work is somatic work and it's it's coming into that level of relationship to physiology so we can see it and name it without judging it yeah. and have the opportunity to come in and do some resolution work because trauma work is resolution work it's allowing these embodied emergency responses of fight flight and freeze to come into completion so that whenever we come into a whenever we come into a situation that reminds us of early threats that we're not hijacked by our nervous system anymore and that we can actually meet these situations with choice and agency rather than oh look I'm triggered again and I'm going to go into this like really familiar pattern of pushing against or running away or collapsing yeah thank you so yeah appreciating that in-depth explanation of what it means to heal on a physiological level Mm. and it sounds like what I'm hearing is how key that nervous system regulation is Mm. Um, especially when we're living in a world yeah that doesn't nurture us living at the level of the of the nervous system and that can activate these responses and so Mm. when we are when we allow ourselves to completely visit the level of the body through such work as trauma resolution then perhaps we'll be able to see our triggers become less and less or our response to our triggers become less and less is that right yeah so what what opens up like you know historically we've kind of like approached healing as a top down so it's like oh we can change the way that we think and then we're going to feel okay but you know we all know that you know that has its limitations because it's not working at the deepest level Whereas the, if we change things on a nervous system level, we're changing things in our physiology, and then the behavior has possibility of changing. And so our experiences and our thinking will also change in line with that. Um, so, you know, let's say we have a situation where there's a relationship and we're getting triggered because our abandonment wounding is coming up maybe our old response was to say um my needs aren't being met here i'm out of here i'm going to run so a flight response what we might be able to do as we heal our physiology is to be like oh yeah i'm still feeling a little bit of a flight response but i can recognize it as such and i don't feel compelled to act upon it in the way that i've done in the past 
Yeah. So there's that space, like rather than the compulsion to act. Yeah. Yeah. And the compulsion comes with an urgency because it's life or death. That's how the nervous system registers it. Yeah, and it feels like um, until we address the work at this level, these patterns perpetuate. So, for example, I know that I've worked with you in terms of business, and I may have been in many business containers for coaching, but it'd be the same thing going on and on overwhelm, collapse, overwhelm, collapse, flip flopping between these responses. And then actually a lot of our work has just been working really somatically, being with the sense of freeze that may be present, thawing that out. Then actually I found much more energy in my system that wasn't available to do that. And mm. therefore I can do the things I always wanted, but it didn't come from an external source of someone telling me what to do. It came mm. from being with the experience at the level of my body and, and being guided by you through that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so our culture kind of teaches us in business to extract and exploit and to keep on pushing on through. And, you know, a lot of business transformation containers kind of adopt that methodology as well. Um, so we think it's like in the doing, we think it's in learning the skills, but actually it's in the changing the physiology, right? Skills may come in handy at some point. It's not to say that we don't need skills to grow a business, but if our physiology is dysregulated, we can have all the skills in the world, right? And it's not going to change. And I know I know it firsthand. You know my how my relationship with my business has changed as my physiology has become more stable, and I've had greater capacity to meet life as it presents itself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And so knowing um, that this is the way that transformation actually happens, you know, through the physiology, through the body, how would you say that training as a trauma resolution coach has changed the way that you now work with clients? Mm. Well, it's making that very clear with clients. Like, okay, you're here because you want to change this aspect of your life you want to change this aspect of your business you want to have more pleasure in your sexuality you want to have a different relationship to money whatever it is it's like that's the manifestation of the problem mm. but we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna dig in there to begin with we've got to understand why that problem has manifested in the first place what's going on at the level of your physiology that has resulted in this um, you know, and some people don't like that so much because they're they're in a momentum of emergency in their physiology, and they're like, I've got to fix it. You know, I'm the hamster in the wheel, and I've got I've got to I've got to make this, these changes. So there can be like resistance to kind of like, well, we actually need to work at the level of the physiology, and let that begin to start to transform and change, and then we can take this new regulated physiology back to that problem. And we can meet it with through a new lens, through a new level of regulation. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. And it sounds like what's actually taking place feels very counterculture to what society asks from us, especially those in business from yeah, this capitalistic um, way of looking at yeah, running our own businesses, earning money. Mm -hmm. 
absolutely, absolutely counterculture. Yeah. And so there it feels like um, also much, much of the time is unlearning what we've been taught about what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's about coming into right relationship with self and life and others. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we've been taught culturally. Mm-hmm. We've been taught to be in competition. We've been taught to do too much to be measured, our worth is measured on our productivity. So yeah, there's a lot of like unlearning that we need to do. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely been a key point because I feel like even in personal development that can come from a very uh, huge sense of urgency. It needs to be done now. And even Mm. the way I've noticed, even the way trainings are sold, Buy in the in the first 24 hours, you get 20% off. Buy in the first week, you get 10% off. And I can see these, 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 not in a judgmental way, but these tricks now of of calling us to be in a sense of urgency to achieve what we want to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a level of manipulation in those techniques. It's kind of preying on people's um, feelings of unworthiness, inadequacy. Not feeling love, not feeling good enough. So it speaks to those parts in ourselves, and we think, "Oh, okay, I, I I need to do this thing, and then then I'm going to be okay. Then then I'm going to be worthy." Mm-hmm. Rather than actually, if I work at the level of my nervous system and work at work with my developmental trauma, that's where I can find my worthiness. That's where I find my sense of kind of continuous okayness yeah yeah and this is what feels so potent is understanding developmental trauma one thing I notice is speaking about trauma is the assumption that it's this event trauma and Mm. that's the only type there and having to explain that actually um yeah trauma is um our body's way of responding to something that may feel too much too fast um and unable to complete that process. And I'm aware that you work with different people um, in a myriad um, of ways throughout their life, including sexuality and business and full-on life coaching. And I'd love to hear a bit more how you see developmental trauma showing up in these ways. Yeah, yeah, great question. So I'm glad you made that distinction between like, you know, episodic trauma and developmental trauma you know a lot of people say oh you know I haven't had any trauma it's like how can you live in this world and not have experienced trauma I mean it's 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 not possible um but you know developmental trauma essentially you know as human beings we go through kind of like a developmental arc from birth right through to death and those early years is where our lay down, our nervous system kind of gets kind of anchored in um, into us. And unless we get the right kind of developmental care at those kind of milestones in our life, then we end up with trauma around those particular areas. So let me give you an example. Our, our worthiness 
actually grows from our needs being responded to and being met. So, you know, if you think about some parenting techniques from not that long ago, really, which was like, oh, we'll leave the baby to cry and they'll cry it out. You know, it's, it's a horrific parental technique because actually the message that's been sent to the baby is the baby's crying. So it's communicating that it has a need, you know, maybe for comfort, maybe for food, you know, maybe maybe it's needs burping, maybe it's nappy, needs changing. So it's signaling it has a need through the crying. But if that crying is ignored, then at some point the baby will stop crying because it's like the only thing that I know how to do in order to get my needs met isn't working. Yeah. So at that point on a physiological level, the baby goes into a collapsed state, it goes into freeze, right? And so if that's been your experience as a baby, then, you know, as an adult, you'll have a lot of freeze around your needs. It might actually feel unsafe to have needs because you know that if you call out for your needs to be met, they're going to be ignored and you're going to go into that really scary deep freeze response. And so someone who has that developmental trauma may be someone who ends up people pleasing and taking care of others right? Everyone else's needs are more important than mine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how that might show up for someone in the sexual arena, for example, is that person's really passive and they're all about giving the other person pleasure, but they, they don't actually have the capacity to name, even notice what it is that they want, let alone name it or receive it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, you know, that goes right back to that, those first perhaps a few months of of being a baby Mm. you know and developmental trauma can happen you know baby age toddler age you know young child age teenage age um you know there are different needs that need to be met developmentally um you know for example like a teenager um and this developmental model which i'm referring to actually um looks at the teenage years as from age 13 to 30 Mm. so much wider than the cultural kind of understanding that we have about teenage years and those teenage years is meant to be a time of like discovery inquiry who am I who are the people I want to hang out with what is my sexuality like what are my preferences do I want to go with people of the same um, gender as me or not you know it's a time for experimentation and exploration but if we if we don't have a container um, whereby we can um, have this exploration, then it's not it's not safe for us to do that. Mm. If we're being shamed or judged, then we can kind of keep that exploration really, really, really small and just kind of like follow the cultural narrative of what's expected of us. You know, and so later in life we have this sense of like. There's more to me, but I can't bring myself forward because there's not, there's often like a shame response. Can I bring myself more fully into the world? And how that might translate in a business context is, oh, is it really safe to be me in social media, right? Can I bring this part of myself that's never really got the opportunity to be fully expressed into this place? And then what happens if I get judged and criticized? Um, 
So yeah, we can always kind of track these problems back to developmental trauma and the physiology that happened at the time of that developmental trauma. Yeah, thank you. This is a really helpful and useful perspective of looking at it and, and understanding how it can stem back to those areas of our life and those times. Mm -hmm. And what I particularly loved in what you said is the way you've given examples that have happened within a sexual experience or a business experience. Mm -hmm. And this feels so important because I feel it um, exemplifies that trauma res resolution happens across our whole life. And that's how it's so potent and powerful mm -hmm. because once we meet that at the level ourselves, then not only just one area transforms, but actually all of the areas in our life transform. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and if, if, you know, for me, the most kind of foundational piece is, is the worthiness. Mm. So unless we have our worthiness kind of online, or at least it's like emerging, then you can't really put boundaries in place. Because boundaries are in service to our needs. And if we don't feel worthy enough to have our needs even named, let alone met by another, then where do we where are we going to put our boundaries in place? Mm. Um, and without that kind of safe foundation of like, yeah, my needs are important enough and they matter, and I'm going to put my boundaries in place to ensure that they get met, then we don't have kind of like a solid foundation from which to grow into that teenager self who wants to go and explore and express in the world. We don't have access to like, um, like our inner wisdom. We don't, you know, I'm kind of like referring to a developmental model, which I learned from Rachel Maddox here, which is like an archetypal model. But essentially that, that piece around worthiness sits at the foundation and it's from that place that everything else emerges. And so often, you know, the question to ask ourselves in any context is, what is it that I really need here? Something doesn't feel right. What is it that I need? And when we answer that question and recognize that perhaps that need isn't being met, we can understand why that situation doesn't feel right for us. Yes. And so I'm aware that at different times in my life, when I've answered that question, my answer may have been different. So mm -hmm. for example, I'm aware at some points asking, what do I really need right now? It probably would have gone blank. And I, I wouldn't have had that anchor, that foundation of worthiness to even know mm -hmm. what, it, what, it, what I'd be looking for here. And hence why I think I would have gone towards those, yeah, maladaptive coping mechanisms, such as addiction, to try and meet what I thought the need was or the sensation or the hormonal mm -hmm. fix um, that would have given that relief in my body. Mm -hmm. And so for those that may be hearing that question for the first time, what is it that I really need in this moment? I'm wondering if there's any support or advice that you'd be able to offer to help people come into greater clarity of what that may be for them. Yes, so that question is requiring a somatic answer. It's not cognitive. So, you know, if we have, if we're somebody who's got a pattern of long-term freeze around our needs, then we need to start coming into relationship with the body mm -hmm. in really slow, gentle, and doable ways. 
Um, so we can start having gentle inquiries. So like just right here, right now, I'll give you an example. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in England and it's cold. <laughs> I've got my heater on, but it's like right now, if I kind of come into my body, the need is like a little bit more warmth, right? So I'm kind of here clasping this cup of tea, um, which is giving me just a little bit more warmth. But I could quite easily kind of bypass all of that and ignore the sensations that are happening in my body. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing, you know, when we've experienced trauma, we, we've ex we experience a disconnect from the body. Yeah. And what happens is these unmet sensations and emotions, they hang out in the body. Mm -hmm. So when we invite people to come into the body, it can be like, oof, I don't want to go there. There's like too much for me to feel. It's too scary. And, you know, often in the kind of personal development world, there can be this kind of like pushing, this encouragement to jump in at the deep end. Yeah. Come on, get into your body, like it's going to happen now. We're going to do it all at once. And if we've got a whole lot of unprocessed somatic material in the body, there's no way that we're going to be able to stay there with it. So it's like these small doable inquiries into what am I feeling, noticing, and sensing? Am I hot? Am I cold? You know, we can ask kind of ourselves, or if we're working with clients, these kind of questions that, you know, go one way or the other. Um, is it expansive or contractive? Right now. Oh, yeah. There's places where it feels expansive and places that feel contractive. That might be enough of a, an inquiry to begin with. That will eventually lead us to the place where we can begin to understand what it is that our body needs. Mm -hmm. You know, another way of kind of like holding that inquiry is to kind of pull in like um, different areas of life. What is it that I need in friendship? What is it that I need in my relationship to my business? What is it that I need in relationship to food or movement? Notice that I haven't gone to kind of like sexuality and love because often they're such like triggering places for people. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't want to start where it's most difficult for us. We want to start where it's easier. I love that you've said that because when we start when it's easier, then we can notice those patterns in that doable way in, in an easier area of our life that may not feel so triggering. And then when it feels safe enough for us to have the awareness, we'll often see that pattern showing up in another in that area of potentially sexuality but then mm -hmm. that's only when we have that foundation within ourselves and we have that sense of regulation yeah 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 let's not start with the question what do i need around my sexuality when we've been in freeze long term um yeah exactly no, that's going to bring up a lot for us but what do i need as a friendship maybe a much easier inquiry to start with and so here it feels like we're really talking about this sense of titration these small doable steps that really feels like the the not the trademark the main one of the main tools of trauma resolution or trauma-informed work that i hadn't heard of ever before coming into this arena so mm -hmm. That, that we want to make it small and so that it feels doable for us. It just felt so alien, even through mm -hmm. school. It's like, you've got to do all of this for a deadline. 
And mm-hmm. so hearing this, it may feel so new for people. You know, I've mm-hmm. heard you use the question, what 1% feels doable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, let me just explain some of the terminology here. So titration actually comes from um, the world of chemistry. And if you think about it, like you've got these two test tubes and if you mix the liquids together, they're gonna create some kind of reaction. But you want to um, determine the point when that reaction is gonna happen. So you take one drop of liquid and you take it over to the other container and you pop it in there and you see what happens. So how that translates to trauma resolution is that you go just a tiny bit into the places where it's challenging and difficult, you feel a little bit of that, and then you come back to um, this place where it's where there's safety again. So it's like feeling just a little bit at a time, rather than I'm going to go into this big immersion and drown because actually I don't have capacity to meet the volume of emotional and sensation content that's there in my body. Um, so in trauma resolution, we're always talking about doability. Does this feel doable right now? You know, and often when I first start working with people, they will override themselves because that's what they've learned to do. And I'll say, did that actually feel doable for you? And they'll be like, oh, no, it didn't. Because now I'm like in this flight response and I'm noticing everything's going really, really, really fast for me. So like learning to kind of like, where is our edge? And it's often not where we think it is, right? We often have to really pull right back. But the thing is, is that when we find that sweet edge of doability, is that we can actually grow and change in a regulated way. Yeah. Other than, you know, I mean, I remember going, being a participant on, you know, personal development workshops and going and having this like big explosion transformation, right? And like leaving the workshop, feeling like on top of the world. And then three days later, being in a massive freeze response, Mm -hmm. shut down because my nervous system didn't have the capacity for that um, amount of transformation in that short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, this feels like a a pattern that can be quite familiar or perhaps many people can resonate with it because it feels quite that personal development model that's used to go into and have a big breakthrough. You've pushed through the resistance. Here you go, the transformation's on the other side. And so what I'm curious around is when we've gone through this and we're going into freeze, what we've actually experienced there um, is actually potentially more uh, a hormonal release, would you say? And then re-traumatization and then now we're in freeze. Or is the way that you would describe that process for us to more fully understand it? Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on there, you know, so let's say we're going into a process and it's a cathartic process mm-hmm. and we've been invited to cathart for like half an hour. Yeah. Well, you know, actually what's getting released there is endorphins, right? The, the hormones that get released when you're exercising. So it becomes like an exercise. The endorphins get released. So you get the Oh, I'm feeling good because um, they've been released. And as the endorphins then drop away, um, we haven't actually changed anything at a physiological level. Mm. So we're back in the same place. Think about it as like the nervous system has a capacity. It has an upper limit and a lower limit. 
Beyond the upper limit, we go into a hyper response. Mm -hmm. Below the lower limit, we go into a hypo response, both of which are dysregulated. And if we're in a big cathartic experience, we might be going out into this hyper response, but we actually haven't grown the container inside of ourselves. And so after the event, we crash down into the freeze response. And so that growing of the container needs time, mm -hmm. space, right? It needs to kind of like respond to the individual needs. Mm -hmm. um, we need to know that we can press the pause button at any time, yeah. right? We need to know that, you know, that's, that's a demonstration of having choice available to us. Um, we need to have kind of practice of this new expanded physiology in a way that kind of really anchors it. Yes. Yeah. And so I think I've heard you say some really key points here, such as time, space, honor, honoring of individual needs, uh, mm -hmm. possibility for pause and choice here. And mm -hmm. so for people that may recognize what we've been talking about in terms of personal development, I'm curious around um, what key elements people would look for when they're looking for a trauma-informed training or coaching program. Because yeah. I've noticed when I've, now I work in a trauma-informed way, it doesn't feel doable for me to go back into those containers. Because it's like, wow, this I can feel the dysregulation. I can feel that I don't have choice. It's like, it's, it feels like going backwards a step. So I'd love mm. to hear if there's more elements that people can kind of notice so that when they look for a training or a practitioner, they know what to look out for. Yeah. Well, you know, anything that's offering you like a quick fix, mm. right? Immediate results, radical transformation, five days, you know, it's like the nervous, as much as we would love that to be a reality, um, you know, the nervous system it doesn't like change. Even if it's in a really small contracted place, it doesn't actually like change. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like a little scared animal. We've got to approach it like carefully and slowly mm -hmm. and with encouragement. And so, you know, if I was to be going to um, any personal development work, you know, I'd be looking for a place where there was heaps of permission, yeah. right? To go at my pace. I'd be looking for spaces where consent was embodied. It's not just conceptual. Um, I'd be looking for practitioners who were clearly still doing their inner work. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be looking for practitioners who were open to and skilled in relational repair. There's nothing worse than being in one of those transformational spaces and you kind of see some shadow coming up in the in the um, practitioner team and then you get told it's your stuff, right? Yeah, and I, I, find, I find, you know, even as you name it, I notice anger within my body, that that is a practice that takes place and yeah. monopolizes on the power dynamic that's present between teacher and student. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, this is about being able to be in kind of like sitting by, side by side mm. and be able to go, yeah, I also got triggered in that experience as the practitioner, mm. you know, stuff came up for me and I'm going to go and take that to my supervisor and I'm going to work through that. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
and you know also being able to like navigate those relational dynamics with somebody yeah um you know and and to kind of be able to put your stuff to one side you know you know we talk about you know basically projection is someone else's stuff kind of getting projected onto you but then there's like counter transference which is where i'm gonna like react to you because you've affected my trauma and so therefore you know in the relational dynamic we've got your trauma and my trauma sitting in the space between us yeah um, so being in spaces where you know that's understood and that you know the practitioners are able to navigate that mm. um not saying that everyone needs to be an expert in that but you know an understanding of that a willing essentially a willingness to own your own stuff right yeah um, and not and not to be kind of like oh I'm separate and other than and I'm on this pedestal because I'm a practitioner mm-hmm. um, it's like no we're all human beings here um, yeah, yeah. Right. so and I'd also be looking looking for a training that was like gentle and slow and spacious and mm-hmm. didn't have a kind of like you know boot camp kind of like timetable yeah. um, you know something that and you know I remember doing a lot of trainings where there was like no space for integration. Mm-hmm. It, and it felt like I was just like eating constantly without any time to kind of like digest what I was eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, the body registers that um, as trauma because it's too much, too fast, too soon, right? Mm-hmm. Can't digest, we can't integrate. And so it sounds like from these um, pillars that you've named, what can actually be created is an environment where that core foundation of worthiness is cultivated within that environment and people are able to realize and understand their own needs within the training Mm -hmm. rather than perhaps being told how it's all meant to be. Yeah, and people's boundaries respected as well. Mm. It's space for... The, no, I don't want to take part in this. I mean, I remember being on this training once and sort of realizing kind of on day two that it was, there was a lot of like touch encouraged and there was no consent at all. And it wasn't like a, an intimacy or sexuality event, but it was, um, ne- nevertheless, there was a lot of touch being encouraged. And, you know, I, I kind of named that this didn't feel right for me. And I remember being really shamed in the group. And um, so I so I left the training and the facilitator got, was really angry. I got all these messages from her. Um, how dare you have left the training? You've committed to stay here. So there was no there was no respect of like my boundaries. Instead, I was shamed, told that I was wrong and that I'd let everybody down. Mm, yeah. You know, needless to say, I, I, I never went back and continued um, working with that person. Mm. Um, but someone perhaps like less aware of trauma may have had, that might have been a really activating experience for them um, and maybe really re-traumatizing experience. Yeah, and so it feels like we're picking up on that when trainings or practitioners aren't trauma-informed, actually can perpetuate trauma within the systems of people and then that requires further processing. We then got to take what we thought was helping us to another person to decompress that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get so many people coming to me saying, 
oh, I've worked with this previous practitioner, or I did this training and this, I had this experience and, you know, I really want to find someone who I can work with and unpack this um, around. Um, and this is the thing, because trauma has become such a buzzword, you know, in the last like 10 years, but particularly in the last like four or five years, <clears throat> everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Everyone's like claiming to be a trauma practitioner or a trauma-informed practitioner. But the reality is, it's like a lot of those people have the concepts of it, but they don't have the embodiment of it. They're not living it. You know, it's not their daily way of being in the world. It's just like, you know, a few words that get scattered into their um, marketing copy. Um, you know, and, and so there's this piece where like, you know, for me, there's a real call for integrity around other practitioners. It's like, great, if you want to learn how to be a trauma-informed practitioner or trauma practitioner, great, but go and do a training, mm. right? Don't just re read The Body Keeps the Score and think that's, that's enough, right? Um, because otherwise you're perpetuating harm. Yeah. yeah, and this feels like a key piece of perpetuating harm mm. and resonating with this piece that you've shared around, yeah, people using the label of trauma-informed when they may have done a quick course on it or something but it's not embodied and actually they may know the on paper what trauma and form may be but within their systems there's still unresolved trauma and so they're trying to act out uh, like a trauma-informed space but it's coming from that sense of urgency or that sense of freeze yeah 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 I mean to be to be working in trauma you've got to be ongoingly unpacking your trauma you know I have a coaching session every other week ongoingly and I will continue doing that you know supervision you know I, I show up in in spaces and um continue to do my own inner work because how, how can I hold space for others unless I have that commitment to unravel everything that's within me and someone might say well you know I've not had much trauma and you know therefore I don't have so much work to do and it's like well that might be the personal piece, but then we've got the collective piece, right, which needs unpacking. Yeah. So there's always something more that can be done around trauma healing, whether we're working with dismantling systems of oppression, um, you know, growing awareness around our role within white supremacy, um, looking at privilege. Um, you know, there's always more to look at. And I'm not saying that as an invitation to kind of like, oh my gosh, I've got to look at all of these things now, not at all. But if you think like, okay, I'm in a good enough place in my nervous system that I don't need to do any more work, well, actually, there may be a place for you to start looking at some of these larger systemic trauma um, yeah. and start to unpack that. Yeah. And what I found is actually some of the systemic trauma has been some of the hardest to unpack and some of the magnitude of comprehension of just how big and how deeply this runs. Yeah, yeah. And it, and the systemic trauma pieces are huge. And of course they have like a kind of biofeedback back into our own um, personal trauma. Um, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to explore this word privilege. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and just seeing kind of all the privilege that I have um, in this world and I'm certainly not at the top of the pile. You know, if this was a human pyramid, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the one at the top. Um, but I. But I still do have a lot of privilege. Mm. Um, 
and and to begin to unpack that and take responsibility for that and see where there are others who have a lot less privilege than me mm-hmm. and you know how can I begin to address this inequality been talking a lot on social media around like the housing crisis in the UK um you know and and wanting to address the the, the, the inequality around privilege there yeah. um you know like what is my role that's the kind of an ongoing question that I'm living at the moment mm-hmm. what is my role in this how do I how do I support unpacking this mm-hmm. um yeah that's such a beautiful question what is my role in this mm-hmm. yeah what's my yeah responsibility here and you know hearing how you've unpacked been starting to unpack this systemic piece and around privilege something that I noticed was the importance of resourcing because mm-hmm. it felt like um on just on my own personal piece of reflecting on how big it was and and mm-hmm. being a white woman and really feeling into the enormity of privilege there is by my skin color yeah. and a part of me I noticed wanted to go into collapse and like yeah. guilt and being like oh, I just can't and oh my gosh and it needed so much resource to come into an adult place of yep this has not been my fault this I didn't cause this but I have responsibility to regulate myself and mm-hmm. come at this from a place of resource and wanting to unpack it mm-hmm. yeah I mean what you're talking into there um, is what's known as like white fragility yeah exactly right? You know, the response is, oh, well, you know, I'm in that context. It's like, oh, I'm not racist. I don't behave in this way. And it's like, whilst you may not engage in episodic racism, Mm -hmm. you are living within systems that perpetuate racism. Um, And this white fragility piece, you know, I saw something on Facebook the other day that someone had posted you know, about, you know, white people, you know, inviting white people to kind of step up and, and do the work. And the responses, there was so much white fragility. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not racist. What about this group of people? I've had this disadvantage. I mean, there are so many kind of excuses yeah. as yeah. to why, why they couldn't engage with this. Um, you know, and this is a piece, again, that I'm slowly unpacking myself. And I, I emphasize the word slowly because, you know, when we're meeting something of such magnitude, um, we've got to go at the pace that our nervous system can handle it. Um, And I remember, you know, last year when um, the the book White Supremacy came out, Mm -hmm. all these book clubs kind of and reading groups came out and I was in a really busy time in my life. A lot was happening and um, I had a lot of invitations to join and I just didn't have the capacity at the time. So I knew that if I was going to join, I wanted to join to join and engage at a place where I could do it in an embodied way rather than it be an intellectual kind of uh, inquiry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're listening and, you know, these topics are of interest to you, then, yeah, my, my advice would be to, you know, find others who are also wanting to unpack, but being able to do it in a really trauma-informed way. So going at the pace that really honours you and understanding that it's not the responsibility to unpack it all doesn't rest on your shoulders mm-hmm. it's like you can play a small part in this mm-hmm. and trust that others will also play a small part in this and collectively all those people playing a small part creates transformation yeah thank you that's a really inspirational way 
of looking at it mm-hmm. um, and feels really helpful in terms of making it doable because it does feel like a lifelong piece here. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like something's going to be solved quickly. It's, an, it's like untying piece by piece and yeah. doing it in a way that we're able to manage the sensation that comes up for us around yeah. what has happened and the, yeah. and the systems that we're living in that, yeah. that harm certain yeah. minorities of society. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like doing our inner work, growing our capacity is key to be able to do this kind of bigger outer work. Yeah, thank you. This has left some really powerful pieces to to chew on. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about a few pieces that um, support trauma resolution or support healing or growing and learning in a trauma-informed way, such as durability, consent, choice, doing it at an embodied level. And I'm really curious around what the main challenges may be on a systemic level that people may face not living in a trauma-informed society itself? Mm-hmm. You know, what I, what I see happening a lot is, um, I was having this conversation actually last night, you know, we were talking about food coming from, food that we can grow in this country coming from other countries, like apples. We don't need to import apples. We, yeah. we grow apples really well here. Yeah, we, do. <laughs> we do a good job with apples. Um, you know, and, you know, the desire for that to be different and yet the, the powerlessness to actually do anything about that. Yeah. It's, it's the place of like, there is somebody outside of me who has more power, who can make the decisions and yet they're not making the decisions to change this. And so what I see is people go, oh, but I want this to be different. Oh, but I'm going to collapse into freeze because I don't actually know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I see that pattern playing out a lot when we're trying to create change. The other pattern that I see playing out is I want to create change. Yeah, let's create change, anarchy, and kind of like pushing over and beyond into more of a hyper response and um you know like some forms of activism i i look at it and i and i think wow you know is that a um an authority trauma being played out here yeah right something that hasn't yet been resolved in the nervous system level that's causing a fight on the outside mm-hmm. um and you know that's a form of activism that historically We've known, we've known forever, right? You know, so I'm going to stand up, I'm going to fight against something. Mm-hmm. And so we've got these two responses. One is like, I don't have the power and I'm going to collapse and to freeze. The other is I'm going to fight against it. I'm like, but what's the regulated place? What's the place that can kind of maintain the momentum that supports transformation and change, but doesn't do it at the cost of, the body doesn't do it at the cost of your own regulation so you know like within activism there's this you know people burn out really quickly and it's like yeah well they're in a hyper response Mm -hmm. their body can't sustain that they are going to crash at some point down into freeze Mm -hmm. so can we find like new ways of being activists want of a better word um to facilitate change 
Mm. And for me, that is coming from that grounded, regulated place, that kind of step-by-step action. Yeah, brilliant. I noticed how even my own nervous system shifts as you've gone through your answer. (coughs) As when you spoke about the initial piece around um, it's so big and I'm going into collapse, like I can't do anything about it. I thought about climate change and how I've actually taken climate change to my own therapist. And I've mm. cried to my therapist about how I can't change what's going on. And, yeah. and so just really hearing these steps of how we can be with these bigger issues that are playing out. Or we, do, we have less control than we want. And rather going into that place of fight is what I'm hearing from you and coming actually into that grounded place of regulation where we can sustain that change on our own nervous system level. Yeah. And, you know, what that change is looking for, I think, you know, in my opinion, is that we come into creating the new ways, that we create the new paradigm. So rather than kind of like this opposition to, it's like, well, what is it that we actually want? And can we dream that in? Can we bring that in and birth that in? That's the... For me, that's the paradigm shift that we're looking for. Um, and can I please ask what those new, new ways would look like for you? Mm, oh, gosh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for me, the vision is like living in a world with much greater equality. Yeah. Um, living in a world where we're, we're in right relationship mm-hmm. to the earth. We're in, we're, in, we're in right relationship to the resources. And, you know, what I'm speaking of requires such a, a radical shift in the way in which we operate as human beings, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if we look at, like, the mechanisms that are in play, which is, you know, we have a group of people who have a large share of the world's resources and a lot of people who have a small share of the world's resources, we make an inquiry into those people with a large share of resources i'm like what's their trauma right what's going on for them that they feel that they have to hoard and hold on to right and be in these power over structures mm-hmm. what's happened to them on the nervous system level yeah. that means that their behavior is 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 like that mm-hmm. you know so with greed there's a scarcity yeah. i'm not going to have enough that kind of says to me, hmm, those people didn't get their needs met in the way that they needed for their needs to be met. So we're right back at the beginning again, right? Uh, so if we're all kind of like doing our trauma work, then these kind of patterns that operate within our world will become defunct, right? Yeah. Because we won't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. So the more people we have willing to do this work, the more change that we can kind of ripple out. Um, sideways and in all directions but for me the the essence of it is like being in right relationship Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which requires us to have ethics and integrity Mm -hmm. you know to question things is it my right to go and buy this thing you know like I'll give you an example like I've just moved house I'm buying a few bits and pieces for the house that I need and I'm like where do I want to put my money I'd much rather go and buy a lampshade from the charity shop than from Amazon, yeah. right? Yeah. Because one of those is like materials that are being reused and repurposed. And another one is like the resources are, are coming from the earth again. But yes, it's about being in right relationship. And 
it comes down to those like small choices that we make on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and how can we be integrity with those with ourselves in making those choices mm, beautiful so am i right in thinking that to be in right relationship means to be in integrity with our choices that we're making yeah but not just like with ourselves but with life itself mm-hmm. right if i choose to get my apples from new zealand rather than apples from england you know does that sit right with me that they get flown for like 36 hours to arrive in my green grocers yeah. actually no it doesn't i'll buy the english apple mm-hmm. i just have so many air miles um so choosing to be in right relationship with life is i don't want that level of pollution happening i don't want that level of extraction of resources happening mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm going to choose to spend my money in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like this is coming back to what we need and then choosing mm. to be in right relationship from those original needs. Yeah, mm. yeah. And instead of having these like maladaptive strategies that um, are the way in which we get our needs met, yeah. right? We know that we're worthy enough of getting our needs met and so we don't need to act it out in the outside world and need to have the most kind of expensive thing flown in from the furthest point away from where we are yes yeah to feel worthy about ourselves Mm. yeah thank you for this really really poignant reflection and i'd love to take this moment to appreciate how i felt you're an embodiment of this in your life and your practice yourself having worked with you for a number of years I feel like this is something that you really do honor and you do having worked around money or business and seeing the level at which you operate with right relationship and relational repair and integrity and transparency that you really are a great role model for this. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Madeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying, you know, it's all we can do, isn't it? Yeah. It's just to keep on trying with this, Mm -hmm. doing the work, showing up, having integrity, self-honesty. Mm. Yeah, so important. And so now I'm speaking to someone you know I've just addressed as a role model and I would love to hear what advice you may have for a younger Catherine, maybe at the beginning of your journey or your younger self and what you may share with her in terms of support and advice um, going forward and with her healing journey. Mm. It's kind of advice and what I'd have wished for because it wasn't actually available. So when I started my healing journey, you know, it was back in my 20s. I'm now in my late 40s. Um, There weren't any trauma resolution coaches (laughs) around at that time. Um, But, you know, I wish for my younger one that she would have been able to have found somebody who could have worked in that way, in an embodied way, rather than everything being so cognitive. Yeah. You know, because I didn't find the healing through cognition. I got a lot of understanding, but, you know, my mind could manipulate and, you know, go in all sorts of directions other than the healing that was really needed. So, yeah, if I could gift back to my younger self, my 20-year-old self, it would be a trauma-informed, an embodied trauma-informed practitioner um, who she could have a, a safe trusting relationship with over time um, to receive the healing that she really needed at that point 
That's really touching. It really is. Um, and having experienced you as a practitioner, um, I feel like that's just such a beautiful testament to what you're able to provide for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with this in mind, I'll add your contact links to the show notes, but I'm wondering if um, you'd like to describe where people can find you and any um, anything that's coming up that you'd like to share. Oh, right. So um, my website's the obvious place. Um, you can pop that in the show notes. Um, I'm also on Instagram and um, it's a bit of a new thing. Uh, <laughs> well but I hear Facebook is changing so who knows whether I'll be on that platform um in its new iteration um so those those are the places to find me email always works for me um, yeah, I really recommend your email list mm, yeah there's yeah. such informative wisdom that comes through every week mm. twice a week yeah yeah so I have two lists one is for people who are interested in trauma-informed business skills and the other one which is um, just like more of a general personal trauma resolution yeah and I send out those two emails a week um, so if you want to join my list maybe we can pop a little link in the notes as well um, and yeah I mean I run um, trauma resolution coaching programs they're all pretty full at the moment um, I'm going to be birthing a money uh, heal your relationship to money um, e-course it was meant to happen this year but then I had to move house so that didn't happen um, but that will be coming through soon and maybe next year there's um, like a group coaching container that wants to come forward around business um, and growing your business in a trauma-informed way so um, yeah some juicy stuff that's already there and some juicy stuff that's uh, going to be coming soon oh, beautiful yeah I'm so excited at what might be birthing through um, knowing that the incredible and wise deep space that you hold. Mm. Bless you. Thank you, Madeline. Mm. Well, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Mm. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you for joining me and co-creating this community together. I am so grateful you are here.